Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Luke, the author of this book, was a doctor, a physician. This makes a lot of sense given the sophisticated nature of his writing. Most historians believe that Luke was a Greek, making him the only Gentile author in the New Testament. Luke's gospel is one of two books that Luke wrote, the other being the New Testament book of Acts. And these two books go together and they're addressed to the same person, an individual by the name of Theophilus. The name Theophilus means one who loves God. It's likely that Theophilus was a Roman official who decided to follow Jesus and needed someone like Luke to help him grow in his faith. It's also possible that he was someone who was simply seeking after truth and Luke wanted to share the truth of Jesus with him. Either way, we have very little information about this person. At the very least, we do know that Luke's original audience was primarily Gentiles. And one reason for this is that Luke used far fewer Old Testament references than the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That being said, if ever there was a man who wrote a book filled with good news that was meant for everyone, it was Dr. Luke. His key message is summed up in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Author Warren Wearsby once wrote that Luke presents Jesus Christ as the compassionate Son of Man who came to live among sinners, love them, help them, and die for them. Throughout his gospel, Luke emphasizes the compassion of Jesus towards the poor and the powerless. We see Jesus healing the sick and forgiving the sinner. We see him teaching with a kind of clarity and authority that could only come from God. Throughout this gospel, we meet individuals as well as crowds, men and women, poor people as well as rich people, sinners and saints. All of these accounts were given to reinforce the truth that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Luke wrote his gospel so that we could have an accurate account of the life, ministry, and message of Jesus. He carefully researched his material as any good doctor would. He interviewed eyewitnesses and listened to those who were followers of Jesus. But most importantly, Luke was led by the Holy Spirit to pen the words that we're going to read this Christmas season. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We've talked before about how the Bible is not a collection of stories, fables, myths, or human ideas about God. That's because it's not really a human book. Through the Holy Spirit, God revealed his person, that's his character, his nature, who he is, and he revealed his plan to certain believers who then wrote down his message for his people. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 means when it says that all scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God. These various authors wrote from their own personal, historical, and cultural context. And although they use their own minds, talents, language, and style, we clearly see that with Luke's writing, they all wrote what God wanted them to write. 
Because of this, God's word is completely trustworthy. God was in control of what was written. Its words are entirely authoritative and were given to teach, rebuke, correct, and train in righteousness so that God's people would be thoroughly equipped to accomplish the good work that he's given us to do. There are 24 chapters in Luke's gospel. I think a great way to break this book down is in four parts. The first part being chapters 1 through 3. This acts as an introduction to Jesus. These chapters cover the births of John the Baptist and Jesus. We're given specific details about the nativity and the circumstances around Jesus' birth. We learn about Jesus' early years, how he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people he encountered. The second section is chapters 4 through 8, which highlight the miracles of Jesus. His compassion toward the hurting, the outcast, and the lost is also emphasized, as well as the truth that following Jesus really is upside-down living. Christians are called to live differently than the rest of the world. The third section is the largest, chapters 9 through 19. Here, the Bible focuses on the teachings of Jesus, specifically how Jesus taught in parables, which are earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning. And the last section in Luke is chapters 20 through 24. Here, it reinforces the truth that Jesus is who he says he is. He had a supernatural birth. He lived a sinless life. He was wrongly accused and crucified on a cross. And he rose from the dead after three days, defeating sin, Satan, and death. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only perfect sacrifice for our sins. Today, we're beginning a new message series called Christmas According to Luke. Over the next four weeks, we're going to spend our time in Luke chapters 1 and 2. In these chapters, we read about how the amazing news of Jesus' birth was presented to different people and how they each responded to it. From these four different responses, we'll be challenged to examine our own lives as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. The first response is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. This is where we read about Zechariah's response to the news that he and his wife Elizabeth would be having a son. Their son John is the one who prepared the way for Jesus. The first thing that we learn about Zechariah is that he was a faithful priest. If you're taking notes, that's what you can write down. Zechariah was a faithful priest. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 says, When Herod was king in Judea, There was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So a little bit of context for what we're reading today. This was a really dark time in the history of God's people. In fact, they hadn't heard from God in over 400 years, not since the events that took place in the Old Testament book of Malachi. Their spiritual leaders were shackled by man-made tradition, and in some instances, they were full-on corrupt. And their king, a guy by the name of Herod the Great, who was not so great, was a tyrant. But no matter how dark the day, God is always faithful, and there are always people who want to faithfully live for him. This is where Zechariah and Elizabeth come in. Zechariah, whose name means Jehovah has remembered, and Elizabeth, whose name means God is my oath. This was a godly couple. The Bible tells us that they were righteous in God's eyes, that they were faithful and obedient to God. 
As a Jewish priest, Zechariah worked at the temple, managing its upkeep, teaching people about God and directing the worship services. Whether the task was big or small in human eyes, Zechariah was faithful at whatever he did. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says, If you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. You know, this is true in all areas of life, but it starts with the good work that God has given each one of us to do, big or small. We look to Zachariah's example. He was faithful in the small things. He was faithful in the large things. Zechariah was a faithful priest. The second thing that we learn about Zechariah is this, if you're taking notes, Zechariah was a fearful priest. So he was a faithful priest, but he was also a fearful priest. Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 17 says, One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So at this time, there were around 20,000 priests serving throughout the country. This is way too many for all of them to minister in the same place at the same time. That's why the priests were divided into 24 groups or 24 orders of around 1,000 priests in each order. Zechariah was a member of the Abijah order. This is the order that was on duty at the temple this particular week. So every morning, one priest would enter the holy place in the temple and burn incense. The priests would cast lots to decide who would enter the sacred room. That's kind of like rolling dice. Out of almost 1,000 priests... Zechariah was the one chosen to enter the sanctuary and burn incense on this particular day. That was not by chance that he was chosen. This is a responsibility that may come only once in a lifetime for a priest. Zechariah being chosen was not by chance. It was by providence. God was guiding these events to prepare the way for Jesus. And it was on this day that God showed up and spoke to Zechariah. While he was in the sanctuary, an angel by the name of Gabriel appeared to him. Now Luke mentions angels 23 times throughout his gospel. If you jump over to the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 10, we're told that there are millions of angels in heaven, too many to even count. But only two of these angels are mentioned by name in Scripture. That's the angel Michael and the angel Gabriel. When Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. With how angels are described in the Bible, I think any one of us would have had the exact same response. Don't be afraid. Those were the first words out of the angel Gabriel's mouth to Zechariah. See, he didn't have to be afraid because God had heard his prayers. 
his wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a son. Now, it's likely that Zechariah thought that this was God's judgment with the angel showing up and talking with him, but that wasn't the case. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both very old, and I think this is a nice way of saying that they just weren't able to have kids anymore. From a human perspective, having a child was out of the question, but God answers prayers in his own way and in his own time. And what seems impossible with man is not impossible with God. You know, just imagine how excited Zechariah must have been when he heard the news. And there are several key words and themes throughout Luke's gospel. Words like rejoicing and joy. These are common words that we're going to see. Hearing good news brings joy into our lives. Hearing that they were going to have a son, that would bring joy into their lives. Hearing the good news that you're going to have a baby would bring joy into any one of our lives. Every time my wife and I heard that we were going to have a baby, we experienced a kind of joy that simply cannot be explained. Hearing good news like this brings joy. After telling Zechariah that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son, Gabriel instructed him to name his son John, which means Jehovah is gracious. We're told that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born, and he would turn a lot of people back to God. He would be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. John's role was almost identical to that of the Old Testament prophet Elijah, encouraging people to turn away from their sin and to turn back to God. That's what the Bible means when it says this. John was also to be the one who would prepare the way for Jesus' ministry here on earth. So Zechariah was a faithful priest, but he was also a fearful priest. Now, in spite of his fear, God was about to do something amazing. God always keeps his word, even when we fall short. And he's the God of following through. The third thing that we learn about Zechariah is that Zechariah was an unbelieving priest. He was an unbelieving priest. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute. I thought he was a faithful priest. How can you be faithful and unbelieving at the same time? Luke chapter 1, verses 18 through 22 says, Zacharias said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. Zechariah was a faithful priest, but he was also an unbelieving priest. You'd think that the presence of an angel and the announcement that he and his wife were going to have a baby would encourage his faith, but this wasn't the case. Instead of trusting God by faith, Zechariah looked at himself, looked at his circumstances, thought of his wife, and decided that the birth of a son was just impossible. He allowed his circumstances to dictate his actions. How often do we do this? God has given us over 8,000 promises in his word, promises that we can build our lives on. But instead of walking by faith, we tend to walk by fear. If you're anything like me, it's easy to allow your circumstances to dictate your actions. Or, like Zechariah, we look for more than the word of God, when in reality, that's all we need. Zechariah wanted some additional assurance 
beyond what Gabriel was telling him. This was ultimately unbelief. And unbelief is something that God does not accept. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief, though. We can dive deeper into these two things another time. In his unbelief, Zechariah was questioning God's ability to follow through with his own promise. As a priest, surely he hadn't forgotten all that God did for Abraham and Sarah with the birth of their son Isaac. Surely he hadn't forgotten all that God had done in delivering his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. It seems as though he thought physical limitations were too much for God. But before we criticize Zechariah, remember the Bible is for learning, but it's also for living. So we need to examine our own lives and our own faith. Are you a person who acts based on circumstances? Or are you a person who walks by faith? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There are two words that describe biblical faith. Those words are sure and certain. The beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. It's being sure that he is who he says he is. The end point of faith is believing that God will fulfill his promises, even though we don't see those promises materializing yet. It's being certain that he'll do what he says he'll do. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So anyone who wants to come to God must believe that he exists. That's being sure that he is who he says he is, that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That's being certain that he'll do what he says. I think it's safe to say that faith is blessed, but unbelief is judged. As a result of Zechariah's unbelief, God made it so that he was unable to speak until his son was born. When he left the sanctuary, he was unable to share with the people about all that he had seen and experienced. If he was looking for a greater sign other than Gabriel's words, he got the sign that he was looking for. It was a very personal sign that he'd have to live with for the next nine months. So Zechariah was a faithful priest. He was a fearful priest. He was also an unbelieving priest. But finally, the last thing that we learn about Zechariah in this text is that he was a favored priest. Zechariah was a favored priest. Luke chapter 1, verses 23 through 25 says, When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for Zechariah to get through these nine months, not only because of his handicap, but also because of his excitement. He lived in the hill country of Judea, which was not a quick walk from the temple in Jerusalem. The journey home would have been enough to drive me crazy for sure. You know, I can't keep good news to myself. When I buy a gift for my wife, whether it's for her birthday or for Christmas, she usually finds out what she's getting long before the actual event. I can't keep good news to myself. Here, God kept his promise, as he always does. Elizabeth conceived a son. Again, what a reminder for us today that nothing is impossible with God. This is a truth that shows up time and time again throughout Luke's gospel. Nothing is impossible with God. 
Apparently, the amazement and the curiosity of the people was too much for them to take because Elizabeth decided to go into seclusion for several months. But their response to this good news was still one of joy. It was one of praise and and worship. God's grace and mercy was so evident in their lives. Zechariah was a favored priest. Not only was his wife going to have a son in her old age, but the birth of their son would act as a sign that the Messiah was coming. I can't help but think of the words in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, a prophecy that was given about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah wrote, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. These were dark times for God's people, but a light was coming. And Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John, he would have the privilege and the responsibility of preparing the way for the one who is the light of the world. 